The following Dharma talk was given by Ron Hogan Green. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at cmm.org. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon. This is from the Book of Equanimity, case number 17. Fian's hair, breath. So the one son's introduction. A couple of lone geese flap upon the earth and soar up high. A pair of mandarin ducks stand alone at the pond. Let us put aside for a moment the meeting of two arrows in midair. What if a saw cuts a scale weight? The main case. Fayan asked Administrator Monk Zwishan if there's even a hair's breadth difference. Heaven and earth are clearly separated. How do you understand this? Zwishan replied, if there's even a hair's breadth of difference, heaven and earth are clearly separated. Fayan said, if that's so, how could you understand it? Shan answered, I am just this. How about you, Osho? Osho means teacher. Fayan replied, if there's even a hair's breadth of difference, heaven and earth are clearly separated. At that, Shan bowed low. Hongji's verse a fly settles on a balance pan, and it tilts. The 10,000 generation scale illuminates unevenness. Pounds, ounces, penny weights, grains, measure exactly as you will. In the end, all is overcome by the zero point. So I picked this koan because uh, I think it it points at one of the Yango themes, which is how we use our mind, words, our consciousness, uh, our wisdom, and express that to help us awaken. Fayyam, his dates are 1885 from, to 958, and I have a long relationship with Fayan. He founded one of the five Zen schools uh, of this time, uh, of which now two remain. The Fayan school eventually folded into the Rinzai school. His teaching, and one of the reasons I relate to him so much, very much matches the teaching of the Sangho. He used words. And um, to magnify his clarity and his vision of the Dharma to help students awaken. So he didn't slam doors on people's legs and break them and thereby they came to awakening. This is not that teacher. This is a teacher who uh, remarkably used words and also directly pointed within those words. And 
There are many koans with Fayan. Uh, one of them you may be familiar with is uh, in the Zendo, he points to two different windows and asks two different monks to roll up the blinds, or roll down the blinds, I don't remember. And they do so, and he said, one has it and the other does not. And the koan is which one has it and which one does not. Um, so that is an interesting question to delve into, but not intellectually. And yet, you have to use your mind to see into that koan. And how you do that is the key. So what is the space between one and two? I'm coming back if there's even a hair's breadth of difference. Heaven and earth are clearly separated. Heaven, earth. What's, what is the space between those two? Is there any difference? And if there is, is that, does that difference rest in being two separate things? Or one thing intermingling two separate things? A compound? And if we speak in this manner, are we referring to an understanding or direct insight? And these are real questions. How to navigate understanding and realizing the Dharma, both through direct pointing and also having a profound appreciation of the phenomena, the, the Dharma, which is relative in, in that sense, as well as the teaching, um, and how that relates to insight into, is it one or two? And therefore, what is it? And it's not either of those. We are exploring how we use our thoughts and words and ideas in this Sangha and in this koan. And just as there are live words and dead words, there are live thoughts or dead thoughts. We have them both. Live ideas and not so alive ideas. What is alive is apparent and can be expressed by live thoughts, ideas, and words. How can the thoughts, how can the thoughts and the words we are offered and the ideas that manifest within us, that comes out of them, help us? Or how can they hurt us? That's the study of mind, what we're doing here, our mind. Or how do we keep apart from encountering all of heaven and earth, to use the words of this koan? How do, how do we keep things separate? Definitely two, or one here, one there. So words, ideas, thoughts, can nurture our understanding of the Dharma, deepen it, or they can help us be lost in samsara and thoughts and ideas. And anyone who does Zazen knows this, because we experience both sides of that, don't we? The introduction to, is an introductory poem that I read by Wang Sang, and I just want to point to that uh, Wang Sang isn't generally acknowledged very often, but we would not know 
cultivating the empty field or the book of equanimity without him. He put together the book of equanimity. Um, he followed along Hongju and just responded to his teachings and took these hundred koans. The Book of Equanimity is a Soto book. Think about that for a moment. The koans are very subtle, very profound, use words a lot, use ideas a lot, invite us to get lost in them or awaken. And it's a book of Soto koans, if you will, or from the Soto school. And it's a very literary book of koans, with the introduction, with the poetry. The poetry is magnificent. Of course, Hongji wrote it, so why not? So in the introductory poem that Wang San wrote to this, as he wrote to each of these hundred koans, a couple of lone geese flap upon the earth and soar up high. A pair of mandarin ducks stand alone at the pond. The implication is that a couple of flying geese are a pair, yet together as one, as are the mandarin ducks. So a couple of times a week, I bike ride at a very large park, which has um, quite a large lake uh, that people boat, fish, um, and it's prime duck and geese territory. I've seen eagles and other wonderful critters, hawks. And if you've ever watched a pair of geese flying, there are two birds, yet in their flight, they can almost touch the ground as they fly low, and then they disappear up high in the sky, so together you can't tell if there's one or two. Are they a couple, or is it one bird? Or what is it? And of course, it's magnificent as they fly. But then the poem says, let us put aside for a moment the meeting of two arrows in midair. What if a saw cuts a scale weight Two arrows meeting in midair. You may be familiar with that term. It comes from the identity of relative and absolute that we chanted earlier today. And um, it's an essential teaching of realization. It's the fourth rank of Master Tozan, in which the absolute and relative are so entwined, you can't tell them apart. It's the functionality of coming forth from that. But he says, let's put that aside. Isn't that interesting? What if a saw blade cuts a scale? Wait, the scale beam is cut. Boom. So this koan is not about two separate things meeting as one but really about how, with the direct pointing of words, all concepts and ideas are taken away. They're taken away with a single spoken offering. The scale balance is cut through. There's no measurement possible. Weigh that.
Fayan asked Administrator Monk Zwishan, and that's a high position in, in the monastery. If there's even a hair's breadth of difference, heaven and earth are clearly separated. How do you understand this? Master Fayan is bringing forth a quote from Affirming Faith and Mind that many of you are familiar with. Which starts, the great way is not difficult for those who do not pick and choose. When preferences are cast aside, the way stands clear and undisguised. But even slight distinctions made set earth and heaven far apart. So this is a classical poem and a classical saying. And many of you have worked in face-to-face -face teaching with this poem. And there are different ways to work on sutras and koans and this poem, depending on where the student is and what's most helpful for that student. And we often use that poem for st students working with Shikantaza as an entry point for the teachers to get a sense of where the student is, which can be difficult with people in Shikantaza. I once met uh, a student in a different sense center, Soto Center. Um, I've mentioned this before, who said to me, knowing I was doing koan study, um, I've been doing shikantaza for 20 years, I have no idea where I am. Am I enlightened? Am I not enlightened? Am I, you know, has something happened? And, okay. But in our lineage, we work with every student in a way that can help them, as well as the teacher, have a sense of the clarity. So here, Fayan is digging directly into the understanding of Zuishan to help him clarify his understanding in a direct manner. So how do you understand that even slight distinctions made set earth and heaven far apart? How might you respond someone asked you, what does that mean? It's interesting. Maybe later in the Ango you'll get a chance to do that. Maybe. Of course, understanding this is not that difficult. Perhaps we can read, each read this poem and get it, sit with it a bit, have a sense, pretty clear sense of it. The implication here, though, is, there, is that if there's even the slightest intellectual movement, the understanding is not yet fully alive. If you understand it, there's a gap there. Right there. Right before you in your very mind. So Ishan replied, to the question. If there's even a hair's breadth of difference, heaven and earth are clearly separated. I think we all understand that in our life, everything depends upon the specific conditions we find ourselves in. Happy, sad, depressed, lonely, elated, bored, ignored, desirous of something, 
satisfied. And when we stick to what we prefer and avoid what we don't, we create heaven and hell, sometimes subtly, sometimes with no awareness of it, often, sometimes overtly with no escape. And then we rinse and repeat, ad nauseum. And that's our life. That's out of these ways of going towards and away endlessly. So subtle. It's so subtle. It's one of the wonders of Zazen, is by being quiet, by cultivating stillness, we get a chance to see that process. And I don't know about you, but when I see it in me, it makes me somewhat nauseous. I mean, <laughs> there's both, I'd rather not see it, and I must see it, right? I don't think I'm saying anything unusual to anybody. So in this, in demanding we prefer over what we do not want, heaven and earth are clearly separated. And so we live estranged from ourselves, right? We've put heaven and earth separately. I want this, I don't want that, right in the midst as the focal point of our life, focal point of our mind, focal point of how we think, focal point of how we look at each other and ourselves. And so we're estranged from ourselves. There's a separation. And out of that comes a, a subtle but pervasive, not knowing why and not understanding how to live in a way that embraces who we truly are. And that's one way of expressing what we're doing here. Starting from that place, we work to clarify, to see our mind, to see what keeps us apart from ourself or any other thing and understanding the word self in a different way than it's often used, a true self. And so as we practice and clarify, we see more clearly how we can set up a has-breath difference between our sense of our being and what we are counter what we are encountering in our life. I mean, this koan's about our life. And if we're willing to study this, because it's present in each of us, we can practice seeing that space. And we can enter that. Enter that seeing. As we may feel, well, I can't see that space. Kind of reminds me of the Dalai Lama saying to scientists, well, take your science and study the mind. That's what we're doing. And they're saying, no, you can't study it that way. That's too subjective. And of course, as we know, fundamentally, there is no objective. Perspective of reality doesn't exist. That the observer is creating and affecting reality. So we study, and we continue to clarify, and that's an ongoing project. And the teachings and our teachers are doing their best to help us in this project, as this koan shows. So Zui Shan replied, 
And there's even a hair's breadth difference between heaven and earth. Heaven and earth are clearly separated. Is he just repeating the words he heard? Is there deep understanding within that response? In reading the words, it could be hard to tell. Yet when we're face to face with the teacher, everything is visible. It's all there. We are communicating. Spoken, unspoken communication with our words, our body, subtle gestures, our energy, how we hold ourselves, how we speak, how we use subtle tones and sh shades of emphasis in our words. We're communicating. The teacher's communicating. Daito Roshi uh, wrote a commentary in the 300 koan Chopagenzo on another koan involving Payan, very, very similar to this one. Um, and you can consider it for the purposes of this verse as applying to this koan. He wrote, when a person of clarity meets another person of equal clarity, there is no doubt about which is correct or incorrect, and each further illuminates the other. However, when a clear-eyed one meets a person of knowledge, regardless of their rank or position, then teacher meets disciple, and the great function is brought out. Tell me, what is the great function? So as Daito Roshi points out, the difference between clarity and knowledge is subtle, not always distinct. I mean, that's what this koan is about. Is it knowledge about something? Or is it the non-dual dharma right before your very ears, so to speak? Difference, sameness. That one is two, and two is one is a fundamental teaching in Zen. In one, there are many kinds. In two, there is not two. And so we say, form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. We say in darkness, don't look for that light, but there is light. Within light, there is darkness. Don't think about that. It won't help you. And it's why the Mu Koan and others like it are so crucial to understanding how apparent, different, apparently different things are the same but different, and different but the same. And, you know, you try wrapping your head around this in a conceptual way, well, good luck. I mean, it can be done. You can someone who has no insight can explain this. Many have. <laughs> I remember years ago, uh, Daito Roshi went to a conference on emptiness. You know the story. And he came back, he was utterly disgusted. <laughs> they're not talking about emptiness, they're talking about their concept of emptiness, which is an oxymoron. And he went on and on about um, the lack of realization that emptiness is not a thing. That's the whole point of it. And how scholars can make it a thing. Now let's talk about it and discuss it. 
there are, are analogies we can use for these teachings. I mean, I have two hands, but from the single point of this life that lives in these two hands, they're one. This is my body. And yet, here's a hand, and there's a hand. Which is the correct view? I'll refrain from clapping. <laughs> the two hands are living that single life. So in a sense, one is two and two is one. As we continue to explore this in the open awareness of Shikantaza, in the concentration on our breath, on the clarity that can come forth in koan study. They all give depth to our understanding of difference and sameness. All aspects of Zazen are pointing to the same thing and teaching us. It's not only koans or only shikantaza or only breath. They're all doing that. We are all doing that. So Fayan responds to him saying that. If that's so, how could you understand it? Mr. Fayan is seeing what is there. Is it understanding or clarity? What's present beneath the words of Zuishan? It's a fundamental teaching, way of teaching, way of understanding it. Ask another question. Ask it of yourself. Teachers ask another question all the time to help you clarify. If it can't be expressed, <coughs> maybe it's not seen. So we can see into this, into the statement of Zuishan. can be seen into, or we can use conceptions and cleverness in our understanding. He's both testing Zuishan and also encouraging him to show more. Okay, that's your response. Say it another way. Give me yours, your heart, your understanding. In the Book of Equanimity version of this koan, this is there and also in the 300 koan Shabagenza, there's a footnote on Fayan's response. If that's so, how could you understand it? An iron mountain lies across the road. So there it is. There's an iron mountain before Zwishan. And how will he cross the road? So he answers, I am just this. How about you, teacher? What do you think of that answer? This is how I am. What do you think? Not so good, is it? Luckily, there are no ultimate failures in Zen practice, or we'd all be wasting our time. <laughs> it's a practice of failure, after all. 
one continuous mistake, right? So put yourself in Suishan's place and see what is he saying. Is he saying some equivalent of under heaven and earth, I'm the only one? Or perhaps this is just how I understand it. I'm tossing it back to Fian. I already commented on that. So it's pretty apparent. One of the wonderful aspects of working with koans is that insight into a koan has to be expressed. And that expression could be with the body, sometimes with a look, or silence, or words, or an action. Sometimes a student's asked to speak your understanding, explain it. Isn't that interesting? And is that understanding and explanation alive or dead? Complete or incomplete? <coughs> it's never complete. We're all koan students. We all live a life. And our response to a question, a koan, a life brings us, be it with a teacher or in our life, makes all the difference in the response on the effect of our life, affecting our life. A life is one continuous koan. Isn't that interesting for those who, I don't know, I don't want to do koans. But you're doing koans. You have no choice in living it. You can ignore it. And, okay, that's one way to do a koan. We're good at that, right? We could probably go around this room and each of us, including me, volunteer, where I ignore something in my life that needs clarity. And I haven't got the gumption at this moment to go there. Or maybe not going there is skillful. It's not time and place yet. This is why I respect deeply myself, my practice, and you and your practice. Because I don't know. I'm, all of us are just trying to figure out the koan that's immediately before us in life. And there are no right or wrong answers. We're practicing. And practicing is a stay tuned for continuing developments. Because it's ongoing. And in that ongoingness are ways of seeing and understanding it that holds our wisdom and compassion in ways that do not. The relationship between the student and the teacher, as evidenced by this koan, functions best when it has elasticity and flexibility and centers around a profound trust in the student's desire to awaken. <coughs> That's what we're doing here. It's the only thing we're doing here to the best of our ability. Yes, there is an organization. And there's relative aspects to that organization. And the organization reflects through so many mirrors, us and the society and all of the difficulties and pains and suffering that comes out of that. That's not an excuse, that's the truth of it. We reflect that as well. But the most important thing is our willingness and ultimately a cultivated ability to respond 
to the koans of our life. Fion sees Zwishan clearly and knows that Zwishan cannot come to peace in this lifetime with this understanding that he expressed. So he points directly. He gives life to the sutra and to the student. And there's even a hair's breadth difference. Heaven and earth are clearly separated. What's that in reference to? It's in reference to Zwishan's answer. This is just how I am. How about you? Is that one or two? And in saying that, Zwishan bowed low. He bowed low. That's not in there by accident. You know, we only have the bare koan and every word matters. What's the difference between Zwishan's initial response and Fayan's? The words are the same, yet the understanding and compassion within Fayan's response goes directly into Zwishan. The words are the same, but his words go right into the student, and the student receives them and makes them his own. That's the key. He could now say that, and it would be his own. How do we create the space of a hair's breadth of difference that creates so much disharmony in our life and others? And it's so subtle. I mean, just think about it in your zazen, how subtle it can be, how we're silent, we're present, and we realize we're singing a song in our head. filling in the blank, the silence, because we need to, because we, without realizing it, are uncomfortable with being still in that moment. You know, I, I say this many times. Uh, it's a quote from a, uh, a very respected uh, Tibetan teacher, in which he says something, I may be slightly misquoting it, mind, there's no such thing as mind. There's only clarity. So think about that. Because this is what we can encounter in us, Zazen. That our mind, our thinking mind, our producing mind, our endlessly circling mind, is being taken as a thing by us. But there is no such thing, ultimately speaking. There's only clarity. And we discover that in Zazen. We discover it even when we don't know we're discovering it until a moment comes and we go, oh. And that already interrupts <laughs> our Zazen. <laughs> but it's, it's okay. It deserves a, oh. That within the deepness of our mind, we settle to such a degree that the quietness is who we are, allows us to recognize that a single thought coming forward is not our true voice. It can't be.
So how can we study this so that it offers what we all wish to offer to all beings? That's our job here, right? It's the Bodhisattva vow. Take whatever we got and offer it before us, before our own satisfaction. Now, we're human beings, and we're practicing, and we're working with that. But that's the path. Have you realized that? That's the path. Not me, but you. Us. And it does not leave you out. But we're so habitually, especially nowadays, channeled into me first. In fact, under heaven and earth, my selfish desires are all that exists, which is not what the Buddha said, <laughs> but how we could live, and many do. So how do we study this? I was struck by something that Toni Morrison said towards the end of her life. She said that James Baldwin gave her three gifts. The first is a language to dwell in, a gift so perfect that it seemed her own. And the language she's speaking of is not just words and ideas. It's your own true heart expressing itself, however it does that. Perhaps sitting here, perhaps crying, perhaps being lost and not knowing how to respond, perhaps in your own confusion, perhaps not feeling awkward and not knowing how to respond to someone who's sick, and on and on. It can be your language. The second was the courage to live life in and from the belly, belly, <clears throat> as well as beyond its edges. If that isn't Zen practice, I don't know what is. You know, we have a rigor, we have forms, we stick to them, and yet all the forms have to go. And that takes great courage. Where does great courage come from? It comes from failing many, many, many times. Luckily, we have a way to practice that. <clears throat> I'm talking about Sazen. I'm talking about seeing the thought and letting it go, which is not a failure. It's a teaching and coming back. I'm talking about sitting in Shikantaza and for the most part, stopping getting rid of parts of ourself, thoughts and feelings that we don't like. Just, just. I'm talking about entering the koan and being the other so that we can respond in a way that there is no separation and difference and thereby see into the koan. The seeing into the koan is already creating no separation. Have you ever thought about that? It already does it. The without even understanding the koan, but putting yourself into the koan, because you're in koans all day long outside this center. And so that's worth cultivating. And the third thing is his tenderness, vulnerability, and love, which made me want to be worthy, generous, and strong. Thank you, Sangha. 
thank you. That's your gift, which I greedily take in. I want to take in. And perhaps I offer it, but I know nothing about that. I just know what you give me. And that's a debt that is not repayable, but we'll try. We'll do our best. There are live words everywhere you look. And of course, plenty of dead ones. How can we take these gifts that are offered to us by so many examples of people who live a life of expressive truth and make those words and thoughts and intentions our own? Because fundamentally, they are our own. That's why we can do that. At base, they are our own. In the midst of duality, there is only unity. Within this unity, all beings are just as they are, clear and distinct. That's our birthright. That's a gift to us, the realization of that from the Buddha, that we can realize it. Hung Chi's verse, a fly settles on a balance pan and it tilts a fly settles. You know, there are two pans. I, my original degree was in pharmacy. I did a lot of weighing on balance, balances. Two pans, and you put the tiniest little, uh, a little folded piece of metal, which weighs so little on one, and a tiny, tiny weight that you can't pick up with your hand. You have to use a forceps on the other, and it balances. It balances. And then a fly lands on one. And it's out of whack. Pounds, ounces, penny weights, grains. Grains is a form of measurement in the water paw system, if I'm pronouncing that right. Measure exactly as you will. In the end, all is overcome by the zero point. Here it is. This is the freedom to live so our vulnerabilities, our tenderness, our love invites us to be worthy to be worthy of the life that we already have, to be worthy to, to live it fully, to be worthy to offer it and receive it. We just have to give up our endless measurements. Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.